You are listening to a message from Shorebreak Church's Gatherings by Travis Scott. You can get connected with more content at shorebreakchurch.com. If you'd like to support the gospel going out through Shorebreak, you can click the Give button at shorebreakchurch.com. I, uh, I love looking forward to coming here on um, Sunday nights to worship with you guys. You know why? It's because Jesus is alive, right? Like, he's alive, and, and we come into his presence, and there would be no other place than I would rather be than here this Sunday evening than hanging out with you guys. And, uh, and I'm stoked that you guys chose to take your Sunday night, if you are new here, to come and to worship Jesus with us. If you're new, my name is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Though we are going to be kind of bouncing all over the place because we are pausing our study through the Gospel of John for, I believe, a very important and timely message for us as a church. And uh, so Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be parking for a little bit and then bouncing to various texts. Uh, We normally study through just verse by verse, book by book, and we're going through the Gospel of John right now, and it's awesome. And so um, I also, though, want to take this time to say thank you for uh, Pastor John our P- Pastor Dave Corson and, uh, and his beautiful wife Robin, they've come over here to take this time to, with Bible college students to, to hang out and to serve this city that we live in and this area that we love so much. So Pastor Dave and, and you know, we are so thankful for you and Robin, thank you. And for the Bible college students here, they've been handing out business cards, inviting tons of people. And so maybe you guys have seen them or not, but they've been a huge blessing to us, of course, and um, and I know that uh, they're going to have great blessings waiting for them in heaven for their service to the church, right? Because, like, what is the church? It's God's organization that he founded through Jesus' blood. And even though they're from Calvary Chapel, South Maui, it's like we're one church. And we exist to make much of Jesus. And it's not about showbreak. It's not about the church down the street. We pray that every church that teaches and opens up this book and talks about Jesus explodes in growth. Amen? We want to see people meet Jesus here. And so we're excited about that. And we're honored to have you guys out, you Bible college students. So, well, uh, this week I asked on Facebook to take a survey because Facebook is always a great place to do that. You see people always posting up all these crazy surveys and so I decided, well, I do one. So I posted up a uh, status on my Facebook account and I, taking a survey, I said, please respond, what frustrates you most in your Christian walk? What aggravates you? What frustrates you most in your Christian walk? And uh, one of the first comments I got was from our very own worship leader, Jarrett. Not to put you on the spot or anything, but I love Jarrett. He's like myself. (laughs) That's a a pretty good answer though, right? What frustrates you most in your Christian walk? Myself or, or, uh, or Damien put, knowing I'm called to love and to forgive everyone. And that means everyone, including myself. Karen said the thing that frustrates her the most in her Christian walk is the flesh. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. The battle between the spirit and the flesh. Of course, other comments were trying not to be a hypocrite and and growing in patience and learning to be more of a a patient person. And some people just liked the status. Well, I don't know what there is to like about that status. It's a comment and they're just liking the status. But 
I'm sure most of us would agree with some of those things on that list, if not all of those things, right? There are things that when we look at our life, no matter how mature or how young of a Christian we are, there are things that frustrate us. We look and I'm like, what? Why would I want to continue to follow Jesus? Look at these things that are frustrating me and they aggravate us and they discourage us, even sometimes putting us into a place of depression, even if it's not some of these specific things. And there are those things that are aggravating us in our life. Maybe you feel in bondage to certain things that you need a breakthrough from. You need to get past that sin, past that rut, past that area where you've been stuck for such a long time. I know I struggle with those things, of course, myself. And, but often it's like, yeah, breakthrough, right? We like talking about breakthrough, but do you know what I'm going through? Do you really know what I'm struggling with? This addiction, this thing, this thought, this idea, this whatever it is. Do you know how hard it is to break past that thing? Now often it's like, well, how? How can I get past that? That area where I'm stuck, that place where I'm caught in that rut, I just can't get out. You know, other tools in this, the spiritual repertoire of following Jesus that we can pull out to use to be more effective for God, to be more effective for his kingdom. So if you're taking notes, we've called this message title Breakthrough. And what is the key, one of the tools that God gives us to seeing breakthrough in our life? Well, what we see as one of those tools is fasting. Fasting. Now, the person inside of us, the critic inside of us, and even inside of me, preparing for this message, praying about it, it's like, really fasting? You know, it's like, okay, time to check out. I got this thing down. I don't really care about it. Because how high is fasting really on your priority list? I know for many years of my Christian life, and still at times, it's very low. Seemingly unimportant. Really? Fasting? Why should that be so high on my priorities list? Maybe we can, let's talk about like God's will for my life. Or let's talk about David and Goliath. There's some great story about me conquering. But, and I even like the idea of breakthrough. I want to get past my problems because my problems have got problems, right? So I want to get past that. But fasting? Like I'm done, all right, check out. No, not anymore. But hold on just a second. Because for the rest of this message, I'm going to let this book and Jesus convince you otherwise of maybe your preconceived ideas of fasting, even though they might be low on your priority list. I'm going to let Jesus convince you of this discipline and why it is so vital for your Christian walk. And we'll talk about the specifics of that later But you have to see, look at Jesus' life in the Bible, or look at other godly men and women in the Bible. When they were faced with big decisions, life-altering decisions, important decisions, you know, all these different ideas that take place, or victories and sin that need to be overtaken, what we see, a common theme in many of these people's lives, is this idea of fasting. So I had you turn to Matthew Um, let's go ahead and dive into the presence of the Lord in prayer before we open up this book. Jesus, thank you 
for this time that we have to open up your pages of scripture that you've given to us and that you want to speak to us, your children, and that you love us and that you deeply care for us. I pray that our eyes would be revealed to who you are. Holy Spirit, begin to do a work only that you can do, an illuminating soul so that we can see you more clearly. We pray that we would walk out of this place changed, different, learning new things, being challenged to be more like you, Jesus, than we did when we, before we did walk in. And we want to thank you for the, the churches that have come alongside to help support even the launch of this new young church, Shorebreak. We want to thank you for Calvary Kona for opening up the doors and letting us come here and rent from them on Sunday nights. We want to thank Pastor Charles Casso and Pastor Dave Corson from Calvary South Maui for coming over here and supporting the mission. Because Jesus, we know that your ultimate mission is to use the church for missions. The local church is the means you want to use to save this world. So thank you for us, letting us be a part of a work that is so much bigger than ourselves. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So it's actually Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five, and we're gonna be reoccurring, visiting this verse throughout the rest of this message, but it's specifically verse six. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. Now before we go any further as we talk about fasting, we need to have a healthy definition, a biblical definition of what fasting is. If you want to write this down, this is what I believe that the Bible determines what fasting is. It's abstaining from physical pleasure to heighten your spiritual dependence on God. And that's typically food. So often we'll deny ourselves from food, which is what we see reoccurring throughout the Bible, from physical pleasure to heighten our dependency upon our true spiritual need and hunger, which of course is for God. And looking at verse 6 here in Matthew chapter 5, the first word that jumps out to me is blessed are those who hunger. If you're taking notes, you can underline that word hunger and circle it. And the idea of the original, original language behind that word is this, to crave ardently or to be needy. So now we're just talking about, okay, I'm a little hungry. Now we're talking about to be needy, to be hungry. So when you read that now, it's like, blessed are those who crave ardently, who are needy for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now to be honest though, I think most of us at least, I don't know where all of you are from or what your walks of life have looked like, but most of us don't know what hunger really looks like, do we? I mean, I, I can tell you, I don't know what, what hunger really looks like. I mean, when I'm an hour past my meal, you can ask my wife, my sinful side begins to come out, and I just start snapping, and it's like, it, it becomes bad, right? I mean, it's like, we really don't know what it's like to be hungry. I mean, when was the last time you were hungry? How long did that last for? 30 minutes? 
maybe a couple hours, maybe a half a day if you're pushing it, right? But that definitely wasn't a good day, at least for most of us. We don't know what it's like to be hungry, really, for most of us, because food is everywhere. You can't go, you can't drive 15 minutes without finding somewhere to eat, right? I mean, I read this week that uh, approximately 9 out of 10 American children will visit McDonald's this month. 9 out of 10, I mean, kids are getting Happy Meals every single month. Food is all over the place. And in 1970, Americans spent about $6 billion on fast food. Now here in the 2000s, the spending rose to nearly $150 billion on fast food. What? I mean, do you see the numerical explosion of food? I mean, like Carl's Jr. got it right. I mean, if it, you know, it's, it's all over the place and it belongs in our face, right? Food's everywhere and you can't get away from it. And not only is it everywhere, but what we're putting in our face, what we're eating is more too compared to other countries. And of course, this isn't a slam on anyone in here at all, but these are just the facts. The daily average calorie intake in Congo is 1,500 calories. Ethiopia, 1,800 calories. Rwanda, 1,940 calories. Where's the United States with all this? I couldn't believe this, so I had to check my facts several times. The United States' daily average calorie intake is anywhere between 3,500 calories to 3,760 calories daily. We got some problems in America. We have no clue what it really means to be hungry. So in this verse here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are we really hungry? Do we really know the, the concept of, of being hungry and desiring? I mean, we're told, you know, medically that we should average average person depending on your weight and height and age consume about what 2,000 calories daily I mean compare that with even the other countries I mean we're consuming 1,700 more calories than we need per day we have no clue what it means to be hungry yet many of us will not skip out on a meal especially daily right there's no way I mean to go out a day without a meal just throughout your, your, your just your daily routine But most of us, including myself, will skip out on our daily intake of spiritual meals from being in God's word, from praying and and being in communion with him. And I'm not saying it's that you don't want it. I'm not necessarily saying that you don't want it. But often, it's because we want something else more. The immediate needs of our gratification supersede our spiritual needs often. The growlings of our soul are quieted by the growlings of our own stomachs to feed our own pleasures and desire. And often it's because we have a small craving for God. Romans 3 makes that very clear. We have a small craving for God. And that's why this verse says, Blessed are those, oh how happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus understood that though. Jesus knows, 
our intuition to always go back to focusing on what we need or what we want rather than what we need. That we truly do have a small craving for God. Luke chapter 12 verse 23 says this, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Just like life is more than just what you put in your gut and what you put over your gut. There's more to life than just that. There's more purpose to life than just that. And even as we studied a couple weeks ago, uh, John 6, verse 27, Jesus said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And for on him God the Father has set his seal. So life is more than just what we fill our tanks up with, what we fill our souls with. And this is one thing that as I've been praying and studying over this, this is important for us to realize You guys, the tank of your soul is only so big. You know when you go to a buffet and you're super hungry and you have one plate, like, all right, here we go. I'm gonna try to fit as much food as I possibly can from this all-you-can-eat buffet and you're taking everything, throwing it on there. But you realize, I mean, it comes to a point where it's like, you you can't fit any more on there. You have a mountain of food of 3,760 calories on that plate, Right? So you can't fit anything more on there. And that's how it is with our souls. The tank of our soul is only so big. Our plates are only so big. And often we are doing what Jesus said not to do when we are filling our souls up with the food that perishes. It fills you up, but it doesn't provide nutrients. So often that's what we do. That's what I do. Well, now of course the food that perishes could be talking about food itself, right? Often we are consuming more than we need. And, and fasting is one of those things where we retract from eating food, holding back from having a meal, like we said, to have our spiritual needs heightened of how much we really need God. But I also think this could apply to the things that we have. Like when you fill your soul up with this. Some of you younger people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These things called smartphones actually make us pretty stupid sometimes, don't they? Have you ever had to try to have a conversation with someone who's doing this? Like, how does that work out for you? Not too well. Maybe some of you would try to have a conversation with me. I'm like, what are you talking? Oh, that's cool, yeah. And I have no idea what you just said. Sometimes my wife is like, did you just hear me? It's like, uh, dang it, you know, right? I mean, but often we fill up our souls and our time with this. We can't walk away from this for 30 minutes without checking a text message or a Facebook update or an Instagram post. We're in bondage to this. We are filling our lives up with this. Maybe for some of you, that's not a problem, right? Maybe it's, it's this. We fill up our lives working for this, pursuing this so that we can have this or so that we can go to that restaurant or get things that will fill up our souls. But that these are things that perish. And of course, Don't get me wrong. I'm not being legalistic. I'm not saying an iPhone is a tool of wickedness and money is evil. No, these things are amoral. They're not good or bad. You can use this thing to glorify God or you can use it to, to destroy your walk with God. Same thing as this. You can worship God with this or you can worship this as God, right? The point Jesus is saying is stop working for things that will perish where moth and rust will destroy 
And this directly ties in with fasting. And when we go to bed at the end of the day, wondering why our soul is still empty, because our tank is only so big. And when we sit on our phones for three hours doing absolutely nothing, of course, your Bible could be on your phone too, but if you're wasting your life, wait, you just lost three hours. Your tank is only so big, so now you're three hours down, but then you've got to count sleep, right? You know, some of us 12, some of us 8, some of us 5, depending on your lifestyle. No, you see how your, your margin is already getting smaller. The tank of our soul is only so big. And life is more than how much we just consume and put in our gut and put on our gut. I work at a, at a restaurant part-time, and uh, this Thursday was uh, kind of a cool night because they had this guest artist in. His name is Henry Capono. He's a great Hawaiian artist. He's been around for a long time. Tower, signed on by Tower Records. Grammy award winning, I think. I mean, he's an incredible artist. And, and, uh, and he's playing at this restaurant I'm working at. And Now, let me just to paint the picture for you. Here's the scene. Beautiful music by Henry Capone, okay? Uh, sun is setting. Beautiful orange sky. Good food. Great atmosphere. And there's this one guy... There's always that one guy, isn't there? There's one guy who is sitting down. He's there. And, 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 and while everyone else is enjoying the atmosphere, you know what he's doing? He is on his iPad watching a movie with earphones in his ears. <laughs> what? Consuming, right? It's like, I mean, he's just like filling up with the food that perishes. It's like, yeah, well, how about that sunset? Like, open up your eyes. There's a Grammy award-winning thing, and for all I know, you could be watching High School Musical. I don't know what the guy was watching. And it's like, get you're consuming so much that there's nowhere else for you to enjoy the pleasures of life that God has given you that comes first from Jesus alone. And I'm not saying it's not that you don't want to fast or see God do great things, but often you and I want something else more. That's what I struggle with. I'd rather open this up and see what's happening in the world or read the news than open up this book, right? My hunger for this needs to grow. But yet I still struggle and I often don't really know what hunger looks like. Because we are always filling up our souls with stuff, we, we don't understand this idea necessarily of blessed are those who hunger. I pray that we become people who intensely care about Jesus moving in and through us. I pray that we become people who intensely crave to be needy, to desire and to want Jesus to move and work through our lives. But often that shadow and eclipsed by our physical desires. Let's look at Matthew Chapter 5, verse 6 again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? For they shall be filled. When your hunger, when your appetite is increased for doing the will of God, you will be filled. Because your soul craves what you feed it. Your soul craves the appetite that you feed it. That's what Galatians 5 Six talks about. So how was Jesus filled? 
Where did Jesus get his sustenance? Where did he get his bread, his food, his source of life? Jesus was filled by doing the will of God. Maybe you guys remember, it's John chapter 4. Jesus is moving up north in Israel. And on his way, he could have avoided an area that most religious people would have avoided. Slum dog Samaria. I mean, everybody would have avoided Samaria. I mean, it was the ghetto place. It was like the armpit of this region. Nobody wanted to deal with the Samaritans. They were wicked, sinful people. But Jesus saw it fit that he would go and have an appointment to meet up with the Samaritan woman who was thirsty. And as Jesus sat down and began to have this conversation with this woman who was slutty, I mean, she had five husbands. She was shacking up with the dude, and she was divorced, all these five husbands, currently shacking up with her boyfriend. And then she encounters Jesus at a well, at the hottest part of the day when no one else was there because she was a shameful woman. And part of that conversation, what did Jesus do? He paused and he said, hey, disciples, I'm hungry. Can you go get me some food? So the disciples go, like, okay, sure, we'll go get some food. And I don't know, what, what do they get? Like little Caesars? I mean, I don't know, like, what they, what they had for fast food then. But nonetheless, they went to go grab some food. And so as Jesus is having a conversation with this woman, ironically offering her living water, which is where this directly ties in with Matthew 6, those who thirst, Jesus is our living water. They come back, say, hey, Jesus, we got your food. Worst timing ever because Jesus is basically giving her an invitation, right? To say, hey, hey, I'm offering you living water. So they come back, kind of blow the whole thing. And they're like, hey, Jesus, um, we got your food, right? Here you go. And she's like, I- I'm not hungry anymore. And they're probably talking amongst themselves like, what? does he have a secret stash of food that we don't know about? Does he have like a Snickers, you know, pop it out hungry, why wait? Like, what, what, where is he getting his food? Did he do the whole, you know, loaves and fish thing again, but just come out of nothing? I mean, where, where is this guy getting his, his sustenance, his food? In John chapter four, you can turn there actually if you'd like, John chapter four, verse 34. I love Jesus's response. It's important for us to see his response to this because in John chapter four, verse 34, and the disciples said, how are, how are you not hungry anymore? Jesus responded and said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. What is Jesus' food? To do the will of God. Where did Jesus get his nutrition and source from life? To keep going, to keep waking up every morning, to do the will of God. That's where Jesus found his vitality. That's where Jesus found his health. That's where Jesus found his life from doing the will of God. And isn't that true for us? When you decide to follow and obey the will of God and you step out in obedience, following to the thing, maybe that he's called you to do that even scares you, as you take that step of faith, you find that as you're following in his will, that your soul has been craved more than it ever has been before. When you serve the people that Jesus served, when we give as Jesus gives, when we are on mission spreading the good news of the gospel as Jesus is on mission spreading the good news of the gospel, there is satisfaction that is found. There is purpose in life because we are doing what he has called us to do. But what is the specific will that Jesus is talking about here? And John, look now again, 
back in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What will is he talking about? Well, conveniently, verse 35, Jesus says, here's the will. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. What is the will of God? The harvest. Making disciples. What is the will of God? To be on mission for his glory, sharing the gospel. And we are told here to lift up our eyes. You guys, lift up your eyes. There are people today who are ready to meet Jesus. Kona is ready to meet Jesus. Maybe some of your family, they are ready to meet Jesus. Those who have wandered, maybe they're, they're, they're siblings or they're your children or they're your friends. You're like, yeah, I would love for you to meet Jesus, but I'm just waiting for it. Maybe God's giving you an opportunity to share Jesus with them. He says, the fields are white with harvest. All you have to do is lift up your eyes. And so I pray that we would be a church and a people who lift up our eyes and see that Hawaii is a place that is deeply in need for people to meet Jesus. 31% of the population, depending on the statistics, go to church every other month according to Gallup. And that's give or take, but I can tell you this, from this being the most Christian nation on earth at one point to that, this place is post-Christian in need of revival. And the harvest is white. And that's why Jesus said, hey, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the harvest. And that's what we do. All this to say, going back to the verse, our theme verse for this message, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Are you hungry for people to meet Jesus. I can't put that in you. The Holy Spirit puts that in you. You know, and I pray that you would have that hunger. You know, sometimes like when you want someone to get better and they're sick or you know, they're struggling with a disease and they keep going back to that certain food, it's like, man, you got... you. I just want you to get better. Like, you're struggling with this. Can you just get better? And you want them, but you can't give them that desire. I can't, I can't give you that desire either. But pray that the Holy Spirit would give you that hunger and desire for God. So what does this then? All that to be said, what does this have to do with fasting now? Being on mission for God, making disciples, what does that have to do with fasting? Fasting kills our bondage to ourself to make us more effective for God's mission. When we fast, when we withhold certain things from our lives, we are cutting off those things that so easily entangle us and hold us in bondage to make us more effective to be mobile for the mission of God. We want to do the right thing, but often we want to do something else more, and we want to see breakthrough. We want to have that direction, and I believe that maybe this is a word for some of you, that the spiritual discipline and practice of fasting will help you get that breakthrough. I love what Andrew Murray said. He's a missionary, a wonderful man of God. Some call him the cornerstone and the pillar of the church. A wonderful, great man. He said this, fasting helps express, deepen, and confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, 
to attain what we seek for the kingdom. I love that. That fasting cuts off the bondage to make us more effective to, for God's glory. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.13. He said this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. See, often when we fast, what happens is those things that dominate us are exposed, right? Some of us are dominated by drugs, maybe legal, maybe illegal. Maybe it's a legal drug that we've been using illegally. (laughs) Some people do that. Or maybe it's the illegal drug of caffeine. I know some of you are addicted to caffeine and it's a legal drug, right? And we know because on your way to Starbucks, when someone cuts you off and gets in front of your drug, the wor- I mean, it's just, you lose it. And I know that because that's me. I'm speaking about myself here because we, we all have these things that we are in bondage to, right? Those things that we have to have. Like I have to check my phone. I have to get my cup of coffee. I need this. Those things are often the things that we need to fast from the most because we are in bondage to them. And when we fast, the bondages are broken, allowing us to focus on our true need and our true satisfaction. The veil is removed and we can see our true hunger because fasting exposes our idols and our worship. And maybe fasting for you, maybe this is a word from God, maybe fasting is that thing that you need for breakthrough. And of course, I'm speaking of, of the Christian. Talk about the Christian here. Um, if you're non-Christian, fasting is completely irrelevant. You gotta settle that with Jesus and we'll talk about that in a little bit here. But your, as a Christian, the breakthrough you're looking for could be found through in the spiritual discipline of fasting. But I have to say this. Do not fast for God's approval. Do not fast for God's approval. You know why? Because if you're a Christian and you put your faith in Jesus, you are already approved. Anything you do, including fasting, will not cause God to love you more. He already loves you with all the love that he has for you. That was made pretty clear to us 2,000 years ago on the cross, wasn't it? So you can't earn anything from God. By fasting, you don't earn kudos with God. You don't score brownie points with God by fasting. Fasting is not so that you would somehow get more love from God. That's not what fasting, of course, is for. Fasting, though, is helpful for those patterns of sin in your life and that you're caught in. And I've had patterns of sin in my life that I've been stuck in And the Lord has used fasting to help me get out of those things, to to have victory over those sins. This church plant, along with many other church plants, including the launch of the church as a whole, was started through fasting and through prayer, asking for God to give us direction. So I hope I've made it pretty clear, the biblical case, that fasting is important. For many of you, the place maybe where you're stuck or you need to get out of that rut is so that you would get beyond where you're at and fasting could be that tool. So we get that part. Now what? All right, I'm ready to fast. Do I go now? Like, do I start tonight? Like, what do I do? What are the practical applications of fasting? Well, first, let me just say this. When we fast, given that you are able to, 
Some of you are not able to fast. Maybe you have an eating disorder. You should not fast. You should get help. You should talk to someone who can help you out with that eating disorder. The last thing you need to do is to fast from food. You need nutrition. You need food. Or or maybe you're pregnant, right? You're like, yeah, but I'm getting... No, you're not. You're having a baby. You do not need to fast from any meal, okay? You do not need to do that. And I know there are, there are several pregnant women within our church, so that would not be something specifically from food that you would, would want to fast from. Or those with health reasons, they just can't. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame if you can't necessarily fast from food in any way. Um, but with that said, when we fast, we need to understand there are different types of fasting. There are different kinds of fasting. And the first one is this. It's a complete fast. It's cold turkey. No food, just water, maybe for a meal, maybe for a day. You know, maybe you can start, uh, you know, you can start fasting from dinner and then you go to the next dinner, right? Or you can fast from a meal. Like say lunch, you can fast from throughout the week and, and or whatever. I mean, there, there are different types of fasting, but that's the first. It's a complete fast um, this included Jesus, of course, and the early, early disciples who they mostly fasted from food. Uh, Saul, in Acts 9, uh, verse 9, we see him having an encounter with God who became then Paul, and, and, and he didn't eat. I mean, I don't even know if that was a choice to fast. He just couldn't eat because he was so enamored by the presence of God. He's like, oh my gosh, you've seen the glory of God. I, I can't, and I'm sure he was also very afraid too, and in that stage of growing in God as a new Christian, he did not uh, partake of food. We see Ezra doing this, uh, of a f- complete food fast in Ezra chapter 10, verse six. Of course, we know Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's crazy. I do not recommend that to anyone. In fact, when you consider doing a fast, especially if it's a complete fast, uh, consult with a doctor, seriously, if you're going to do that, because some of you it might not be the healthiest thing for you to do. And, uh, and I love Jesus fasted 40 days, and I love what Matthew 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 2 says. It's the, the, the biggest understatement verse in all the Bible. It says, after 40 days and 40 nights, speaking of Jesus, he was hungry. <laughs> I bet he was pretty hungry. In fact, scientifically, they say when, when you fast for maybe a day or two, and it could just be for meals, or maybe you're just doing even a juice fast, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. You go through the stage of craving, of, of hunger. You are hungry. Your stomach is growling. Then you come to the point where you're actually not even hungry anymore. You've kind of lost your appetite a little bit. And then uh, as time goes on, if you continue to fast for too long, your, your, your urge to eat comes back again. But when, that, when it makes its second comeback, you know what that means? It means you're hungry and your body is beginning to feed off of vital organs in your body and take, nutrition, and, and take different things just to keep the, the main organs running like your heart and your brain and begin to suck nutrition from your bones and from your from the liver and your kidneys and and to the point where you are literally starving to death. That's what happened with Jesus here. When it says, and he was hungry. <laughs> it wasn't just like a little bit hungry. He, he was starving to death. Jesus was very hungry. And he did a, a, a very difficult fast, of course. And, uh, but it's a complete fast. And, and maybe some of you are malnourished. You've been like living off of Red Bull. <laughs> 
or Mountain Dew, you probably shouldn't do a fast. You might want to change your, your diet first and then do that. So there's the complete fast. The second fast we see is uh, out of Daniel chapter 3. It's a specific fast. Maybe you guys remember, we don't have time to get there, but in Daniel chapter 3, uh, Daniel and some of these other young, studly, good-looking, cut, chiseled guys are, have been taken captive by Babylon. And they are there in Babylon, and, and, and of course, the king brought out all these wonderful delicacies, the, the all-you-could-eat buffet. And what they did is, is they decided to withhold themselves from the king's portions of food. They didn't they eat some of the food, but they didn't eat all of the food. So it's like a, a partial fast, a specific fast. And I know today some people have done that. They will fast from Instagram, right? They'll say, I'm going to fast from Instagram because I am in bondage to pictures of people posting up on social media. Or maybe some people will fast from fantasy football, right? Like, all right. Like, nobody cares about your fantasy football team except for you, honestly. And I know I just offended some guys in there. I don't even care because it's not going to matter in the future. And you can, I'm not saying don't enjoy it, but I know some people who have decided to fast from fantasy football or, or words from friends. Or it's, it's kind of the idea even behind Lent, right? Behind Lent, you know, the, the six weeks preceding up to Easter. Uh, some will, for practicing Lent, will withhold themselves from certain pleasures so they can find their pleasure from God alone. So there's this specific fast that we see in Daniel chapter 3. And the third type of fast we see is a group fasting or the church fasting. Um, the church prayed when it was only just a handful of disciples before it really even was the church when they were meeting in the upper room. And when they fasted and prayed, what happened after that? God's glory came down and the church exploded in growth. And it happened through fasting and praying and waiting for God's spirit to move. We see that, of course, in Acts chapter 12. Peter is in jail, right? Maybe some of you guys know the story. And there's a, a community group within the church that's meeting at home and they're praying and they're fasting, saying, all right, God, our leader, our pastor is in jail. It's not a good day when your pastor's in jail, right? Not generally a good day. And so they're praying. They're like, God, we need you to show up to, to reveal Peter, to cut off the bo- that, that he is in jail. We, we, we need him to be freed. And so they're praying and they're seeking. And Peter's freed. And he, and he runs back to the house. And Peter knocks on the door. He's like, all right, guys, here I am. I'm freed. Praise the Lord. It's a miracle. And then one of the servants comes up to the gate, opens the gate, looks, sees Peter. Oh, my gosh, it's Peter. Closes the door, runs back in the house. Peter's like, they're out to get me. Come on, let me in, let me in. And and of course, we see that the church, the group got together and prayed and fasted and God delivered Peter. Um, We see the leadership of the church fasting as well in Acts chapter 13. There's this group fasting. And in Acts chapter 13, there is this Antioch moment when the gospel for the first time after prayer and fasting would leave the Middle East and be spread forever to the ends of the earth. And that decision, that explosion of gospel going out, happened through prayer and fasting. So you see the biblical evidences and the benefits of practicing the discipline of fasting. If you guys want to turn to Isaiah here, we're going to be wrapping this up pretty soon. Isaiah chapter 58. 
And uh, when should we fast? When is a good time to fast? It's always a good question. It's like, do I start tonight? I mean, should I just go home? I mean, I know 6 o'clock, uh, my stomach's growling right now too, ironically. Maybe some of yours are too. It's like, do we start tonight? And when, when is a good time to fast? Because obviously we can't fast forever or we will be in trouble. But the Lord's speaking here, in Isaiah 58, verse 6, he says, Is this not the fast that I chose? So when should we fast? To loose the bonds of wickedness. Are you caught in sin? It could be pornography. It could be fantasies. It could be addiction to substances. Are you caught in, in, in wickedness? The bonds of wickedness. Fast, the Lord says. To undo the straps of yoke. Are you oppressed? Are you depressed? It's time to fast. Go free and to break every yoke. You guys see, when we fast, often it's not just when things are seemingly going well, but when we have the the most important battles in front of us. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before the battle of three and a half years of ministry up to the point of crucifixion. Jesus fasted and prayed all night before he picked his 12 disciples. And when I, when I was a new Christian, I read about some of these disciples. I'm like, no wonder he picked those disciples. He didn't have any sleep that entire night, right? It's like, what is he thinking, picking crazy, loud fishermen and a tax collector, among others, to be his disciples, so we should fast when we are, of course, have important decisions to make, like Jesus did when he prayed. We should fast when we are uh, oppressed and depressed. We should fast when we're entangled in sin, and the list can go on. And, and I would encourage you guys on your own to read Isaiah 58 of when you should fast. Here's the big idea, though. It always comes back to the gospel. We can break through because Jesus has already broken through for us. The battle is already finished. The score is final, right? Who won? Jesus won. And the moment you became a Christian, even though you're caught in that struggle right now and that thing is seemingly impossible to break through, the moment you became a Christian, you have entered from death into life from defeat into victory through the cross. And no doubt there are battles to be fought, but you guys, the war is already won. It's finished. The battle is fought. And even though you're gonna fail and you're gonna fall and you're gonna stumble, Jesus has won the victory for us. And Romans chapter eight, verse 30, 31, Paul says this. What shall we say to these things then? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If God died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Guys, God and Jesus are interceding for you on behalf and giving you the Holy Spirit to minister to you. 
Isn't that incredible? Yeah, the God of the universe, he's interceding for you. You have victory. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep being led to the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Victory is written all over the Christian walk. You are not defeated. You have victory in Jesus. And it's not like we're just scraping by with victory, by our knuckles. It was a tie in overtime and we barely won. This is a landslide victory. This is majority vote. This is knockout KO, the first round type of victory. This is absolute, complete victory. And we must realize that we that you and I are more than just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We haven't just won the war. The battle is finished and the plunder is for ours to enjoy because God gives us all of his blessings. He is interceding for us because Jesus is great and Jesus is the one who fights for you. Our God does truly fight on our behalf. And the battle that you think you're fighting on your own, nope, Jesus is there. He's fought it. He's conquered it. And I believe, honestly with my whole heart, I believe that there are things that Jesus wants you to have breakthrough. Have victory over that thing that has caught you. Because something has a grip on you. It has a hold of you. And the answer is, don't get a hold of yourself, but get a grip of Jesus. Get a hold of Jesus. If you hold on to Jesus, you will have victory after victory. And though we'll stumble, though we will fall, we will not fail. And as we have talked about prayer and fasting, I want you guys to realize that prayer and fasting is the way for God to expedite blessing and movement and transformation in your own life. And what's the ultimate mission? It's the harvest. We fast to be more effective for God, to make disciples. That's why we do it, to get a hold and to to let God get a grip on us. And so when we are hungry and when we do fast, and I pray that you guys would do that, that we will realize that it's, it's allowing us to be more effective for his kingdom. And I want to challenge even us as a church. Now, for those of you who do not, you're visiting or you're part of the Bible college, it's fine. You know, this isn't necessarily for you, but you you can choose to do so if you want, um, especially for your personal walk with Jesus, if there are things that are holding you. But even as a church, we should be fasting and praying. So I want to challenge those of us who are part of Showbreak to take a day this week. And I'm not going to tell you what kind of fast you should do. That's That's between you and God. You fast whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Maybe it's from this for a day, right? 
Maybe it's from food. You skip out on a meal. Maybe some of you have never done it. I've met pastors who have never fasted. I'm not even kidding. They've never done it. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. It's like, I mean, you're preaching about fasting, but you've never done it. And it, not, to, not to come down on anyone, and not that I'm the most spiritual by no means. I'm the worst at fasting. My wife will be witness to you. You can talk to her after the service about that if you want. But the mission is only as, it's, it's just so important. And we can't afford not to fast because time is short. Eternity is at stake and lives are on the line. And I pray that Shorebreak, the Calvary Chapel South Maui, that our lives personally would be used for his name. That, that people would see that, that, that God has a grip on us and that we have a grip on him and that even the things as simple as food or Instagram don't hold us down in bondage so that we can run quickly to be effective for his mission. And that's why Matthew chapter five, verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When you begin to do what God has called you to do, when you find that your sustenance comes from when you are doing God's will, you will have more pleasure than you ever have had in your whole life. And maybe, I don't know where all of you are at in your walks with God, I don't know. But maybe for some of you here, This is like the most irrelevant message to you ever because you don't know Jesus. But you know what? This message maybe couldn't be more true for you because you are hungry. You are thirsty. You have been drinking from the wells of this world and you have never been satisfied. Just like chug, you know, you're thirsty and you go down the ocean, do you chug salt water? No. If If you get past the gag reflex and you continue to drink that, you're actually dehydrating yourself. That's what it's like from drinking the wells of this world. And Jesus comes to give you living water. He comes to give you bread because he is the bread of life. He came to be your satisfaction. And the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Maybe you have never had an appetite for God. But your appetite is wet now. Your taste buds have been illuminated. And you are thirsty for God. You realize you have a hunger for God. I want to give you an opportunity if you don't know Jesus to respond to him in faith tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus and answer any questions. Mahalo.